Father, we praise you and thank you for an opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for the privilege today to open the Word of God and explore the truths of its wonderful pages. I ask you to bless and enable us today, O Lord, in the Spirit to communicate your will and your purpose for our lives. Help us, Lord, to leave this building encouraged and strengthened in the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And everybody said amen. amen. Everything operates by a God who is in control and a God who is in charge. We preach about the attributes of God. We talk about His omnipotence. That means that our God is all-powerful, that there is nothing greater than our God. There is nothing more sovereign. There is nothing that exercises more authority than our God. The prefix, the Greek prefix there, omni, means all or total. And when you attach the suffix to it, omniscience, that means that our God knows everything. Not only is he able to do anything, that nothing is impossible for him. In fact, there's a passage in Luke's gospel that just simply says, nothing shall be impossible with God. Nothing shall be impossible with God. That all things are possible when God is involved. When God is trusted and God is believed, when His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, then all things are possible. It's possible for you. It's possible for your family. It's possible for your business. It's possible for your education. It's possible for your career. Everything, omni means all, all-encompassing, that nothing shall be impossible with God. That means people that have Various needs can find their needs met in the all-powerful and all-knowing God. Amen. Not only is He an all-knowing God and an all-powerful God, He is an omnipresent God. All omni meaning everywhere, at all places, at one time. That's amazing, and our minds won't really go there. We really can't comprehend how God can be here in this hemisphere and be in another hemisphere on the other side of the world every bit as present as he is here in uh, our service today as much as he is when two people come together of like faith gathered together in his name he said i will be there i will be there in fact the bible that i preach out of says though i make my bed in hell yet will i find him there Though I ascend up to the stars and make my dwelling place amidst the stars, still I cannot go out of His presence. I will always be in His presence. And what that lets me know is that it's possible for us to always be in the presence of God. It's possible for us to abide. That means live, dwell in. In fact, the Bible said, My habitation shall be in the Lord my God. Amen. My habitation, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He will be my hiding place. He will be my comfort. He will be my shelter from the storm. He will give me the things I need in life to be a success and to enjoy His will for me. That's a wonderful promise we have, yet there are a lot of things that God knows that I don't know. I don't know. I 
I, I, I don't understand a lot of things that are going on. I, I don't understand all these shootings that's going on in America. I don't understand that. I don't understand how every time we turn the radio on, some maniac has gone berserk and ended the life of some very good uh, people that just happened to be in the wrong place at the, at the right time. I don't understand that. I, I don't know how a child could ever have a terminal disease. I don't understand that. That's past my comprehension. But you reach a place in your faith where you just simply have to say, God has to take over at that point. You reach a place that you, you just can't go any further with understanding and comprehension and just have to move that over to the category of faith. And I just have to trust God with that. And I know that my God will do right. Know ye not that the king of all the earth will do right. I want you to know my God does right. He is a, a righteous God and he does right things. I, I don't understand children dying with terminal disease. I, I can't understand why we walk out at night and you can see a star that has been burning for millions of years and has already gone out but it keeps on shining because it's still trying to get to where I am. Now, brother, that boggles. I, I just don't know how that, that happens. And who wrote the book of Hebrews? Does anybody know that? Well, there's enough arguments for against as there is for, and you can surmise, but you can't say. I don't know. I can't say how, who wrote the book of Hebrews. God knows, but I really don't know. I, I really don't know why Tennessee beat Alabama. And I sure don't know why Auburn can't get a football coach. I don't know why there's an expiration date on sour cream. I don't know why hot dogs come eight to a pack and buns are ten to a pack. What are you going to do with the two extra buns? I don't know why the U.S. is the richest nation on the face of the earth, and yet we lead the world in poverty and we lead the world in crime. The largest prison population in the world is in America. Over 12 million Americans are in prison. That's amazing. I don't understand that. I don't know uh, why that is. But I serve a God who knows all things that nothing evades him and that nothing gets outside the parameters of his vision. In Jeremiah 16 and 17, For mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face. Neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes, the Lord says. And in Hebrews, that classic scripture, you've heard me quote it so many times, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked, and all things are open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That means nothing happens without his knowledge. There's not a wave that laps upon the beaches of the world without his knowledge. There's not a bird that tweets without the knowledge of God. There's not a sparrow that falls from the limb he's sitting on and falls to the ground without our heavenly father, the Bible said. I used to think that meant that he was present, but I 
explored the original Greek translation, and it says he's more than present. It literally means that when a sparrow falls into the ground, that our heavenly Father cups his hands and breaks the fall. And the wise man said, if the God we serve cares that much for sparrows, and if the God who is our God does such a marvelous job with the lilies of the field, how much more, how much more will you who are the offspring of God, you who are of the family of God, reap the benefit of the blessing and protection and provision of our Heavenly Father. He knows where you are, knows what you're going through, knows how it feels, knows the duration of it, knows the severity of it, knows who caused it, and he knows how it's going to end. And that's because he's God and because he's omniscient and because nothing is beyond his purview. Praise God. Could you give him a hand clap of praise for that? His ways are past finding out, and we cannot comprehend him. But yet there are some things that God does not know. Wow. And I say that because I say it figuratively, not in a truly apologetic sense. I say it figuratively. There are some things, you know, the one thing God does not know, God does not know a sinner that he doesn't love. God does not know the address or phone number of one person that he doesn't love. In fact, the word world, cosmos, means all. It's the from where we get the word cosmopolitan, it, it means everybody. It means that, that that sign that was placed upon the cross of the Lord Jesus was so cosmopolitan that it included all of the world. Every person, every boy, every girl, every man, every woman. The blood of every person on the face of the earth is included in the salvific purpose of the Lord Jesus. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that everybody, somebody say everybody, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's will that every person be saved. It's God's will that that son of yours, that daughter of yours, that cousin, that aunt, that uncle, that grandpa, that next door neighbor, that friend, every person that you know it's in your life God's will is for them to be saved. God's will is for them to come to repentance. And you know what repentance means? It's the negative act of turning away from and abandoning your former self. It means leaving who you were and becoming a new creature in Christ Jesus. It means that you put away the old things and old things are passed away and all things are become new. That every morning when you wake up every morning, it's new with you and God. It's a new walk with you and God. It is God who loves lost people. And because God loves lost people, he gave his life. God so loved the world, loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, 
whosoever would believe upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you know my, my procedure about getting the next verse. Don't quote one without the other. The next one says this, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is more interested in saving you than he is judging you. God is more interested in changing your life than he is sending you to hell. He's more interested and more loving about changing you and making you a new creature in Christ. And that's what he's really all about. He's a God that changes people's lives. And God doesn't know a sinner, doesn't know a person that he does not love. Not one person that he didn't die for. Every soul in this house is a soul for whom Jesus died. I go by a homeless person, a certain one, just about every day. And every day, I give him money to buy a biscuit, ask him if he's hungry, take him a blanket, make sure he's not cold at night, make sure he's got some place to get out of the rain. Why do you do that? Because he's a soul for whom Jesus died. A soul for whom Jesus died. Every Thursday night, we have what we call a, a jail ministry where we go to the county jail here in Calhoun County. And one of the great ladies of our church, they ought to name something after her, Elsa Russell came to me when she was 70 years old and said to me, Pastor, I want to do a ministry in the church. And I said, which one is that? And I thought it would be probably some, something, you know, of service to everybody. She said, I want to do jail ministry. I said, oh, Lord, have mercy. You, are, are you understand what you're talking about. And she said, yes, I know full well. I said, have you ever done jail ministry before? She said, no. I really haven't. I said, well, then what in the world makes you want to do jail ministry now? She said, God told me to. And I always tell all these folks, I can't argue with God. Now, I don't have any. If you ever tell me God said this, God said that, God wants me, hey, you don't have any more arguments out of me because I don't argue with God. I don't fuss with God. Whatever God says, if you tell me God told you and God wants you, hey, that's, that's all right. You, you go about that. Well, Sister Elsa told me, she said, said I, I want to do, do jail ministry. And uh, I said, well, what all is entailed in that? She said, well, I don't know. I'm not through talking to Roy Sneed totally about that. He was the sheriff at that time. She came back to me and she said, said I got to get a letter from you that says that the church endorses me to do uh, jail ministry, to do prison ministry. I said, Sister Russell, you sure you want to do this? Now, I want, I want you to know you're going to run up against some rough characters, and they're going to talk ugly to you, and they're going to be mean at times and say all kinds of offensive things, and uh, their hygiene's not the best in the world. And I'm just telling you, this is not something, a pleasing little stroll through the park. This is tough. She said, oh, I know. I know. I said, okay, then. Roy Sneed called me. He said, hey, Jerry, what about this little lady? I said, which one's that? He said, the one that wants to come in here and, and 
talk to, to women in prison and write letters for them and read the Bible to them. And I said, she's right up front. I said, I'll vouch for her. She's, she's genuine as it comes. She came to me in a Sunday or so, and she said, Brother Irwin said, I need your help. And I said, what do you need me to do, Sister Russell? She said, I, I need somebody to play an instrument of some kind. Said, uh, I, I don't play anything, and I need somebody that can play a guitar or accordion or something we can carry in and carry out. And uh, I, I said, well, I don't really have anybody wanting to do jail ministry right now. You're kind of unique in that. And she said, well, said we'll just pray about it. And the next Sunday she came to me. She said, well, Brother Irwin said, don't worry about getting anybody to play for me. Said, I, I found out where you can strum a little bit and you can find them chords on the neck of that thing. And said, I've picked out, uh, oh, how I love Jesus and an amazing grace. So that's enough. Don't bother anybody else with it. That's enough. You see, when you know that everybody is a soul for whom Jesus died, when you recognize everybody as a person who needs to be saved, then that's the heart of God. I said, that's the heart of God. And this church does best when we find the mind and the heart of God. And when our heart beats with his heart, and when our step is synonymous with his step, when we walk in his steps and we hear his voice and we proclaim his word, we are no, not ever in any more touch with God than when we're doing what his heart is all about. And that's loving people. God has never seen a sin that he didn't hate. I want to tell you, my God hates sin. Because sin, the Bible said, hath separated you from God. God hates the fact that we're separated. God hates the fact that something that happened in the Garden of Eden estranged us from God. It actually made us enemies against God, the Bible said. We were on one side and he was on the other. And for hundreds of years, for centuries, that's the way it was. But God said, I don't like this being separated and being apart. I hate the sin that separates us. I despise and I hate, I abhor the sin that has tore us apart. And I don't like it. And God said, I, I'm going to institute something. It won't be forever. There's a, there's, a, there's a program that's coming. And it's called Calvary. And it's called the blood of Jesus. And it's called the cross. And it's, it's called the church. And it's called the gospel. But for right now, he said, we're going to do what we call tabernacle worship. And we're going to have a priest. And that priest is going to take your offering every year on the day of Purim. And he's going to carry it back into a place called a holy of holies. And he's going to shed the blood of that animal. And for right now, the blood of animals is going to be the atonement for sin. Not permanent, but God said that's what we're working with now. Every year you would travel on the day of Purim or what's called the day of atonement and you'd present your bullock or your goat or your sheep uh, uh, unto the high priest and he'd offer it for the sins you'd committed that 
year so that they could be indulged. That, mean, that, that means covered up. Hid, swept under the rug. Out of sight. But I'm glad that when Jesus came walking near that Jordan River, Mark, John looked up on the bank and he said, Oh, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Not hide them, not sweep them under a rug, not get them out of sight, not indulge them, but to completely destroy the works of the devil. Completely do away with and kill the sin that is in your life. He said, I am come to destroy the works of the enemy, the works of the devil. Oh, Jesus didn't come to hide up anything. He came to destroy the works of the devil and to set the captives free. Oh, what a day that was when Jesus was announced as the emancipator, the one that would set the sinner free. God has never seen a sin that he doesn't hate. God does not know nor he has ever seen a way of salvation other than Jesus. There is no other way under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other but at the name of Jesus. But at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's Jesus, friends. Jesus in the street. Jesus in the marketplace. Jesus at home on your couch. Jesus at your workstation where you work. It's Jesus. He goes with us. He stands by us. He cleanses us from all sin. He makes us to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. No wonder God has never seen another way because Jesus is the way and he is the truth and he is the life and there is no other way than Jesus. God has never seen another way to be saved, never seen another salvation. He's got the right person. It's Jesus had the right death. It was cross of Calvary, just for the unjust. He was the sin bearer. He was the burden bearer. He was the lamb that shed his blood for the sins of the whole world. For if when you were enemies, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were unlovely, when we were lost, 
in darkness and in sin. A little boy had got a bird cage that he'd caught some birds in it, field birds he called them. And he had them in a bird cage and he was carrying them and he met the minister. And the minister said, wait a minute, son. What you got in your hand? He said, oh, I've got some field birds that I caught. He said, well, what are you going to do with them? He said, oh, I'm going to tantalize them and I'm going to pick at them and throw sticks at them and spray water on them and play with them and toy with them and play games. He said, well, then what are you going to do with them? He said, feed them to the cat. And the preacher said, how much do you want for them? He said, well, what are they worth? He said, I'll give you two bucks for them. He said, okay, that sounds like a bargain to me. Give me the money. And the preacher took the bird cage and he opened the cage and the birds flew out and he let them go. He said, wait a minute. I couldn't understand why you were buying those birds. They're not pretty. They're not, not birds that people would keep around. They're just old field birds. There's nothing special about them. They don't even twerk real good. In fact, they sure aren't a songbird. They can't sing a bit. Why in the world would you want to get these old birds for? He said, because they needed somebody. that would set them free. My God, I'm telling you this morning, that's where you and I were. We were in that cage. We were in that bondage. We were in that dread. We were the victims of the devil and what he was doing, playing his little games. We were the ones that were held bondage in a, in a prison by, by someone who eventually said, just feed them to the cat. Just let them go on to hell. Just let them be lost and let them, let them go to hell forever. But God, who is rich in mercy with his great love, wherewith he loved us, even while we were still in sin, he gave himself for us. He died for us. His back was beaten for our iniquities. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. He doesn't know a better way of salvation than through Jesus. He doesn't know a better time than right now. Not a better time than right now. Seek the Lord. Now is the accepted time, the Bible says. Right now is the time. I want to tell you, there are some things that God has established in His Word that's not going to change. And that is the fact that He has set a date. That clock is ticking. The Bible said He hath appointed a time. A time. And because He's appointed a time, He said, prepare. Get ready for that time. I want to tell you, a fellow told me the other day, I was visiting him, and he said, well, Brother Jerry, you know I'm terminal. I said, I am too. 
He said, what? I said, I am too. It's appointed unto man. Once to die, I'm terminal. Brother, if the Lord tarries, there's going to come a day when this old body will become unfit any longer for me to live in. And the door to this old house is going to fall open and angels are going to come and get my soul and my spirit and carry it to the direct presence of Almighty God. Yes, if I go that way, that's what is in my future. I'm terminal. Amen. I just don't know when that day is. But I'll tell you one thing. I have made preparation for that day. I, I, I've looked ahead and I've said, Lord, I, I want to take every sin in my life. I want to take every disobedience, every rebellion, every, everything about me that would disqualify me. I want you to help me right now, God, to identify that thing and get forgiveness and repent of it and turn my back on it and become a person that would live the life and walk the walk and talk the talk and be the person that you want me to be. God has never seen a person that he couldn't help if you wanted to change. Can he change drug addiction? Yes. Can he change an alcoholic? Yes. There are people sitting right here today in this congregation that if they could give their testimony, they would tell you how that their life was so mesmerized with sin and addiction. They were in an awful mess. But God, who is rich in mercy, with his love wherewith he loved us, died for us and made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. And the old addiction passed away and all things became new. There are men sitting right here that one time were addicted to alcohol, went through awful things in their life, lost their family, lost their marriage. But they sit here today changed by the grace of God. Does it last, Brother Jerry? Yes, it lasts. I said it lasts. Some of these men here that have, was in that condition 20 years now and better. If they could give you their testimony, they would tell you today the best thing you can do is find you an altar of prayer and tell the Lord Jesus, I want you to change me. I want you to set me free from my addiction. I want you to deliver me from all the bondage that had me bound. I want to be a new person. I want to live a different life. I can change, God, but I need your help. I need your strength because I can't do it by myself. I don't have it within me. I've got to depend upon you and what you did for me at Calvary's cross. And because you died for me, gave yourself for me, I have the victory. I can get freed from that addiction. I can get freed from that bondage. And in Jesus' name, I will it to be so. In Jesus' name. The Lord 
has never seen a church that he couldn't bless. He's never seen a church that he doesn't want to bless. Could I tell you if God could have his way this Sunday morning, revival would break out all over this place. If you could know the will of God this morning, you would see his heart and hear his heart say, I wish every one of you had the victory that you were overcoming, that you were praying prayers that was moving the hand of God, that you were growing in grace, that you were winning lost people to God. If you could hear God speak this morning, he would tell you his heart and he would tell you, but he sent me by here to tell you instead that he wants to bless you and he wants to bless harvest and he wants to bless the families of this church. He wants to fill these seats with people that are needing a Savior. He wants to fill this whole area with people who sit in these seats saying, I need to change my life. I need to get in touch with God. I need the Lord to do something for me that I can't do for myself. I need God to love me and come into my life and come into my heart. There are people that are outside these walls that need to hear Jesus saves and Jesus heals. They need to hear that. He's never seen a church that he could not bless. Never seen a church that he couldn't change and do things for the glory of God. I'll tell you something else. He's never seen a bill he couldn't pay. I said he's never seen a bill that he couldn't pay. Never seen a bill that he couldn't pay. When we were doing television ministry years ago, Charles Stanley was one of our good friends. He was on the board of directors at National Religious Broadcasters. And I heard him say one day that he was in a meeting with all of his board of directors. And he said, we were talking about how we needed to get all of our ministry under one roof. We were scattered all over Atlanta and rented buildings, but we needed to get it under one roof. And he said, the secretary came in and said she never did that. said she knew better than to interrupt me in a board meeting, but said she felt impelled and said she walked in and she said to me, Dr. Stanley, there's someone on the phone that wants to talk to you. He looked at her with that weird look like, what are you doing in here? And he reached over and took the phone and he began speaking and a man said, Dr. Stanley said, when you were preaching the other Sunday, said you said something that really rung with my heart. And he said, I slipped down on my knees and I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus. And I've since found a, a church and life has just blossomed for me. And I would like to ask you, what is your greatest need in your ministry? He said, well, we've just been talking with the board of directors here about that very thing, how we needed to get all of our ministry under one roof and not be spread all over Atlanta. He said, how much would that building cost? 
And he told him a figure of how many million dollars that would be. He said, a check for that amount will be on your desk Monday morning. When a pastor looked at a building on Times Square in New York City, he envisioned a church in one of those buildings that needed renovating. One of the councilmen in New York City was there present with him, and he said, we don't really need a church on Times Square. That, that's just really not something we need. He said, well, that's something the Lord told me about. And he brought a, a man with him that had just been coming to his church. Didn't look like it was anything special about him. But he stood there and the councilman said, it would take $15 million to just get that hull of a building to start all over again. And said, and you can't afford that. And the man standing beside Pastor Lent said this, he said, yes, he can. My Lord. All right now. Yes, he can. He said, well, if you could afford that, you sure can't afford. That's just the building. You got to renovate the whole thing. You got to do all kind of millions of dollars, and you sure can't afford that. And the man beside the pastor said, yes, he can. Little is much if God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. I told you about my friend preaches with a photograph album. Come on, Olivia. A photo album on his pulpit. And he said he'd just re lay his hand over sometimes, Gladys, and just pray for missionaries that were preaching somewhere in the world. And he said one Sunday while he was preaching, the Lord said, open that up. And he said he reached over and he, just put his finger in the notebook or photograph album and said just flopped it open like that. And it opened up to Tokyo, Japan. Yatsuzuka Yamamoto. I've been to Yatsuzuka's house. I've preached in his church in Tokyo. It opened up to Yatsuzuka's picture of his building there and everything. And God told that pastor in Buford, Georgia, said, take him up an offering. He said, I stopped preaching and I said, Ben, I know you've already got the offering bags in the back. You've already took up tithe and offering. But said, would you come back out here and bring the bags back out? We're going to take another offering. And Steve, they received another offering there right in the middle of the man's message while he was preaching brought it up it was something like 1539 cents something like that 
He, the next day, sent that to Cleveland. They wired it to Hong Kong, and Hong Kong sent it on to Tokyo. The pastor got a communication back from Yatsuzuka, and it said, thank you for obeying the Lord. It said, my son was in the American hospital needing a surgery to save his life. And I have no insurance and I had no way to pay. And he said, the amount of the offering you sent to the penny was what the bill was. Well, boy, that was a coincidence, wasn't it, Brother Jerry? What a coincidence. No, not a coincidence. That's God. That's what you call God. Man, because he knows. He knows. He knows. He knew that Yatsuzuka was crying and praying, God, you got to help me. God, you got to help me. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I've got to get this surgery for my son to save his life, and I don't know how that's going to happen. God, please. And thousands of miles away, God tapped a preacher on the shoulder and said, take up an offering. My God, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But my God, but my God, but my God shall supply, shall supply, shall supply all of your need, all of your need, all of your need. Somebody say all of your need, all of your need. God has never seen a bill he can't pay. I went into my office in Montgomery, Alabama. We'd started doing television ministry there, and we had bills packed up that high. I walked in, sat down at my desk, had that stack staring me. Have you ever stared at the stack? Staring at the stack. It came to about $3,500. I didn't have that, Randy. I didn't have it. It wasn't in any treasure. It wasn't in my pocket. I pushed back from the desk. I said, God, you've got a bill here to pay. You spoke to me over there on Dexter Avenue and told me to start this. And I've started it, and I'm doing the very best I can. And I'm at my wit's end. I don't know. What in the world to do? Jean Percival, the secretary, buzzed in. She said, Pastor, there's an architect here in the city that wants to see you. And I said, well, send him in. Jerry Branham walked in that office, sat down in the chair, looked across the desk, and he said, how much do you need to put that television ministry in the black? I said, $3,500. He said, God told me 5000 and here's the check for it. 
You see, those are the things that let you know that you're doing right. Those are the things that let you know you're in God's will. Because where He leads, He feeds. And where He guides, He provides. If the Lord is the strength of your life and the Lord is your light and the Lord is your salvation, He'll take care of you. He's looking for a church somewhere that will dare to trust Him. A church that will dare to step out there and say, Thus saith the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. One more scripture and then we're through. Ephesians 5, 25. Come on now, women. You better help me preach right here. Husbands, love your wives. Come on, girls. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You mean Jesus died for the church? I thought it didn't matter about that church stuff. It matters about the church stuff. When you get saved, you're expected to get in a church somewhere with some believers and start working as a community of God. Amen. And gave himself for it. Gave himself for it that he might wash it. Are you washed? Are you washed? That he might wash it and that he might sanctify it with the water by the word, that he might present it unto himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without spot. Stand with me. That he might present it unto himself. A glorious church. Do you know what that, that Greek word is for glorious right there? Rejoicing is what it means. A rejoicing church. Could I tell you God's church that He loves is a rejoicing church? A worshiping church? God's church that He died for is now a worshiping, worshiping, Christ-honoring, Bible-believing church people that sing their heart out amen enjoy their salvation in fact the joy of the lord is their strength my god i wish harvest could get to that place that we're so rejoicing i, I wish word would get out brother that bunch up there they're loud You know what? I had the police call to me one night. When I was at Vine Road, we were making so much noise on a Saturday night, one of the neighbors called the police and said, that church down there is disturbing the peace. They're so loud, I can hear them a block away having church down there. Can you send a patrolman out and tell them to tone it down a little bit? They sent a policeman out. He come walking down the aisle with a big smile on his face. He was one of my members. 
Tommy come walking down that. He is grinning real big. He walked straight up where I was preaching and praying for people and the music was going. The drums was beating, buddy. We was having a hallelujah hoedown that night. Tommy came in and I said, Tommy, what are you doing here? He said, they sent me over here to tell you to tone it down. I said, well, I'll give you the mic. You tell them to tone down. He said, no, 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 I'm not going to tone them down. Y'all just go right ahead. I'll tell them I come out here. I wish we'd get accused of being too loud. I wish somebody called call the cops on us for worshiping too loud. Your praise is too loud. Your praise is disturbing a lot of people. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? I like for the world to know I'm here. I like for the world to know I'm here. I want people around this church to know I'm over here yelling in this mic and shouting and beating these drums and playing this music. I want them to know we're here. Thank God we're here. And we're going to be here till the trumpet sounds. And when the trumpet sounds, we're going to a place where it's louder than this. Hallelujah. Could we be loud for about 30 seconds before we go this morning? Could you get real loud for about 30 seconds and worship and praise the Lord in this house? Oh, he's worthy of our worship and he's worthy of our praise. Somebody needs to help me praise the Lord this morning. Somebody needs to lift up the name of Jesus in this house this morning. Somebody needs to let the Holy Ghost start a fire in your life this morning. Somebody needs to let God sanctify you real good this morning. Somebody in this house needs God to turn a tub of honey over in your heart and sweeten your soul. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Bless his name. 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 Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, God. Thank you, wonderful love of Jesus. Lord, I praise you this morning for us being in your presence and being in your house. Thank you that you're the God of all grace and that you've made us partakers of the heavenly vision. I pray now, O oh God, that as the church goes out of this building out into the world to be salt and light that will go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, let the oil of the Holy Spirit, the anointing oil, drip from our garments and all over our head and down through our whole being as it did with Aaron. Puddle up in the floor under the anointing of God. May the sweet savor of the anointing's presence in our life, God, be evident to people around us as we carry the word of this gospel. Jesus saves and Jesus heals. God, meet every need in this church. God, meet every need in the families in this church. God, it's pandemic time and it's recession time and all the news seems to be bad. But I thank you for the good news today, Lord, that you're on our side and that you'll provide all that we need and you'll supply every need that we have. You're our God, and besides you, there is none other. And we'll worship you till we die. We bless you, we praise you, we honor you. In Jesus' powerful, holy name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God go with you, and God keep you is my prayer.
You have a great day in God today, amen.